Uh, let's stay standing and read God's Word together and from Matthew chapter 15, uh, verses 10 through 20. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's some Bibles in the seats in front of or around you, and this text is on page 821. All right, when he had called the multitudes to himself, he said to them, hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then his disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered them and said, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, Are you all still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth going into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulterers, fornicators, thefts, fault witness, and blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Amen. Amen. This is God's word. Lord, we thank you for your word. And uh, as we have seen in this chapter 15, your word um, is sufficient um, and it stands strongly and well um, on its own uh, because it is your word and because uh, you, you are good. And uh, your word nor your commandments um, are burdensome, um, but, but Lord, we submit ourselves to your word, and uh, we pray that you would help us to see your word clearly today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all can be seated. There's a little bit of a ringing in this. I don't want that to be distracting. So if we have any sound people in the room, just hop up and go serve. Go help. Uh, help us figure this out so that, we, so that uh, we're not unnecessarily distracted today. Um, Hopefully that will get worked out. Uh, the, the song that we just sang, Jerusalem, uh, as Jordan said, it's a little bit different, a little bit, a little bit of a different kind of song, uh, but, but I think songs that help us sing stories um, are really helpful. Um, I, I don't know who said it or who drew attention to it, but, but the fact that we are a, um, I, I think the way that it was said was we are a storied people, uh, that we are a people with a story. Um, as, as Thomas and I do some study uh, in a class that we're in in the Old Testament, uh, we're, we're reading a book together um, that, that helps us to, to see and understand and recognize that the stories of, of Abraham and Moses and those Old Testament characters, uh, they're, they're not just uh, random tales. Uh, they're, they're men who, who live in, in a world that exists where other gods, small gods, where other gods are present, um, where other religions, where other uh, things that take away from, from people, uh, people's worship of the one true God, um, it, it's, a, it's a big world. Um, and so as we sing a song like this, uh, we, we remember um, that, that we too have a story, um, that, 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 that our salvation um, is, is birthed out of a, an actual story. Um, and I've, I've heard somebody say that, that believing Jesus died um, is history. Uh, believing Jesus died for you is the power of salvation. Um, and so there's, there's a historical, literal component to who Christ was and the, and the earth in which he dwelled, the streets in which he walked, uh, the people in whom he interacted with. It's not just some, just some 
kind of tale that we remember. I think it's, it's helpful for us to remember that at times. Um, that, that no, this is, this is, this is real. That the dust, there was dust below the cross that Jesus hung on, that Jesus created. Um, that there, there, were, there, were, there was a tree that he hung on uh, that, that, that uh, the Bible will tell us uh, not directly that specific tree, but that he created uh, because the, the world was created through him um, and by him. Um, and so there are real tangible uh, components to, to this story and, and, and of your salvation as well. Uh, your salvation and our place here today didn't just come out of thin air. Um, it, it, it came about through, through centuries and millennia of faithful Christians uh, who gave their life, um, who, who were committed to the word of God, who were committed to the story of God, who were committed to the son of God. Um, and we're here today because of, of their faithfulness, many of their sacrifice, um, and, and we're very grateful for that. And so uh, as we sing this song over the next couple of weeks, I think it'll just be really good to remember that, to remember that, uh, to, that, these are, that this is a real story. Um, and so I just wanted to Wanted to, to bring that to our attention. We're in Matthew chapter 15, um, really in the second half of, of one story uh, of Matthew 15, uh, where the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, why don't your disciples wash their hands when they eat? Why don't they follow our tradition? And Jesus pegs them um, and says, well, why do you elevate your tradition over uh, the commandment of God? Um, showing us that the, that the Pharisees are not guilty of taking God's word too seriously, uh, but not taking God's word seriously enough. Um, that, 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 God, that, that Jesus himself um, is, is really exposing them for uh, this thing that they think that they're taking too seriously. Yet, when you add to God's word or when you take away from God's word, it shows that, you, that, that we do not have a seriousness um, in God's word that God's word demands. Um, and so we're going to see that. We're going to see in Jesus' words today that God's word stands uh, well enough on its own. Uh, without any addition of tradition um, or any tradition of our own, um, you know, crazy interpretations or whatever that may be. And so we're looking forward to being in that. And so it's a continuation of the text that we were in last week, uh, today's text, verses 10 through 20, um, and, and is the back end of it. And so in this conversation, Jesus, as you see in verse 1, or verse 10, let's look at verse 10, and he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. And so Jesus has turned his attention away from the Pharisees and the scribes um, and is welcoming those who the Pharisees likely despised. The Pharisees despised so many of these people, and not only is he acknowledging them and calling them in, he's teaching them. He is helping them to hear. He is helping them to understand. And, and why does Jesus do this? Well, it's really beautiful because the scriptures tell us in Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, the reason why he's calling these people to him is because what? He has compassion for them. He has compassion for them, and not just vague compassion because they don't have anything to eat. No, it says, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Um, and so Jesus has compassion on these people who he's calling to himself. He turns his attention away from the Pharisees, calls these people to himself because he wants to shepherd them. He wants to teach them. He wants them to understand God's love and God's heart for them. And so this text, really what we're going to see today Serves, serves as a summary of what we've seen Jesus do and what we've heard Jesus teach leading up to this point. Um, and so we, we see the care that he has in this text. We see the care that he has for the crowds, which the word has already told us he cares. Um, we see the, the willingness to engage with the disciples' lack of faith. Uh, the disciples, uh, we, we, uh, it says, explain this parable to us. And Jesus, he does rebuke them, but he's also kind of going after them by, by helping them to understand because 
from what we see in the text, the disciples are those who are seeking this understanding, kind of like we talked about last week. Uh, they're not like the Pharisees um, who, are, who are just uh, merely trying to, to bring Jesus down. They are disciples who, are, who have faith but are seeking understanding. And let me just tell you something. God is all in on that. Um, and so if you've come here today and you're a doubter, if you have doubted God's love for you, if you've doubted God's word, um, but you are coming from a place of faith, seeking understanding, let me just say, God is all over that. He loves it. He wants to, he wants to engage with you. He wants to, to cry out. If you are simply trying to disprove God or come from a place uh, where, where it's your life's objective to bring God down, let me just say, you ain't going to win that battle. Uh, but if you are someone who is seeking God with your whole heart, even in the midst of doubt, even in seasons of, of suffering and struggle, man, what a gracious and compassionate Lord we have. He is, he is ready, and we're going to see that today. Um, we, we, see, we see this in the rebuke that he continually offers the Pharisees in the application of what he taught in the Sermon on the Mount. The things that we're going to see here today is really kind of a summary of what he's already taught in the Sermon on the Mount. He's already, he's already established Hey, that murder and, and, and covetousness and adultery and sexual immorality, those are things of the heart. And he's just going to kind of bring that stuff back up today that he's already established in Matthew chapter 5. And so we're going to read verse 11 again. We just read it, but we're going to read it again. Um, and we're going to follow along there in your Bibles, page 821, if you don't have one. Um, and this is what verse 10 and 11 said. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Notice these two words that Jesus uses. Uh, it, it's, it's three words in the text, but two words I want to focus on. Hear and understand. Hear and understand. These are words that should ring a bell because in Matthew 5, I, I went, or Matthew 13, I, I went back and counted, and he doesn't say hear and understand exactly, but uh, about five times in Matthew chapter 13, he is talking about hearing and understanding. Um, he talks about the good soils. He talks about the prophecy of Isaiah. Um, he calls the disciples uh, to, to not be hearers of the word only, but doers. And all throughout Matthew chapter 13, he's talking about a, a kind of hearing and a kind of understanding that seem to be somewhat distinct. And so that we can hear something, but there is something deeper that God is calling us to, and that is to understand, seek to understand what he is saying. And so Jesus has been dealing with uh, the Pharisees. He's been dealing with the Pharisees in the first several verses of Matthew 15, and, he's, uh, and, and, and what we can see is that he's been dealing with this rocky soil, the rocky soil of Matthew 13, and is, he's identifying the kind of response that will come from good soil when he says, hear and understand. The, the good soil hears, if you go back to Matthew 13, um, it says, uh, other seeds, verse 8 and 9, other seeds fell on good soil and produced some grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty. Psalm 30, verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear. And so he's identifying, he's, he's kind of given us examples of, hey, here's someone, here's a group of people, the Pharisees, who the word seems to be falling on rocky soil, it's not going down any, um, and you got people who are the good soil, and those who are good soil will be represented by those who both hear and who understand. And so what does it look like for us? What does it look like for these people to hear and to understand what Jesus is saying? Well, Though this situation, this conversation, this, this dialogue between people, it, it, like we talked about a little bit ago, it, it happens within a particular context. Like these are, these are real people in a, in a real uh, culture and, and real things. 
And so although this conversation is situated within a specific context and this specific incident, there is something really significant for us as Christians to understand here. And I want us to see two things. These are my two points today. You ready? That we're going to draw from the text. So I want to be brief today, um, but, but uh, we won't hit on every word of every line in this text. Uh, but there's two things that I think we need to see from this text. The first is uh, evil or sin is not external. Evil is not external. Secondly, um, evil is not defeated by the external. Um, so evil is not external to us, um, and evil is not addressed externally um, in, in us, is what Jesus is saying in this text. And so one way that we could summarize this uh, is, is that the, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. That's what Jesus is saying. So if you want something catchy to kind of write on a coffee cup, uh, you know, or something, uh, uh, Jim owns a print company almost, doesn't own it, but, you know, he, he's got hookups. He knows a guy. Uh, you know, you just call him, order your cup that says the, the, the it's not going to be a cute, kitschy saying. Uh, it's going to be the kind of saying that people are going to see you drinking and be like, that dude's weird. Um, the, the problem, uh, the, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart, is what Jesus is saying. You want to know what the base of all of our problems are? All of them. That's all of them. The problem is the human heart. So the things that, again, that Jesus declares to us in this text are really things in some way that he's already said um, in Matthew chapter 5. And so let's see first uh, that evil is not external. Evil is not external. Uh, let's, let's read. We're just going to kind of kind of read different portions of this text throughout this time, but look what he says. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Um, and so, so later, in verse 16, he's going to say, are you also without understanding? This is him explaining. This is him explaining what the, the, the disciples have asked him to explain. Um, and so he says, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Uh, that, that's Jesus saying the thing that you think he's saying. <laughs> like, you're like, wow, he really said that. Yes, he, he really said that. You take something in, and it's expelled um, in that way. That's the way that we've been created. Uh, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat, this is the very first issue that he dealt with in the beginning of the chapter, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So first is evil is not external. Evil is not external. So as I, as I studied the, the text this week, my mind continually went to Psalm 51. Um, and so we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning in Psalm 51. I know that's not what's normal for us, but, but what I, I think Psalm 51 uh, does for us is, is as complicated of a man as he was, King David was a man after God's own heart. Um, and I believe that this Psalm 51 is probably one of the highest moments of David's life ironically, it's in the midst of one of his lowest moments of his life. Uh, that, that on the heels, Psalm 51, uh, if you'll see that little prescript there in Psalm 51, I would turn there if I were you, because we'll be there for a little bit this morning. Um, if, if, you'll, if you'll notice that little kind of, I don't know what they call it, prescript, uh, the, the script before, or, you know, the prescript, um, says, to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And so in, in one of David's lowest points of life, Psalm 51, I believe, serves as one of David's highest moments of life because he has been brought low and he, and he realizes what has gone on. And, and the reason why my mind kept going to this psalm is because I think it's a really helpful commentary on 
so much, but, but particularly on the nature of sin. David, David, in his prayer of confession and repentance here, tells us uh, the, the very nature of sin um, and, and that sin is not something external to us but internal um, is, what, is what David proclaims to the Lord. Not only that, I think it's also instructive in how our sin is properly dealt with. Um, how we deal with the sin or how we acknowledge our sin, maybe is a better way to put it. Or maybe a better way to put it is how we confess our sin. As, as we've talked about before, confession is simply agreeing with what God has to say. That when we confess in a biblical sense, we are agreeing with what God has to say. And so David shows us, and the Psalm 51 shows us, how our sin is properly dealt with. In fact, uh, the, the great old 15th, 16th century theologian Martin Luther calls this psalm, Psalm 51, uh, the foremost psalm of instruction. And, and the reason why he calls it, calls it that is because we are all sinners, right? Now, uh, God willing, uh, as, as a church, as a church body, we are a group of redeemed sinners um, who, who our identity is no longer as sinners, but primarily as children of God, but we all still sin, we all still deal with sin. And so when Martin Luther calls this the utmost psalm of instruction, he's saying this is something that we often need to refer ourselves to, that we often need to go back to to see what does a true heart of repentance look like. And David shows us that. And so much of what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 15 is seen played out in Psalm 51. And so we have, we have a response to sin. Look at verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. This is what David shows us as he is instructing us and in how to respond to sin, um, is to see what our response to sin is. What is our response? So Nathan comes to David and what does David do? He, he, he is completely broken before the Lord. The, the only proper response when David, is, when David is confronted with his sin is to acknowledge his sin and to respond accordingly to what it is. Well, then David goes on to show us what the source of sin is. So look at verse 4 and 5. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment." Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin did my mother conceive me. And so David is, David is saying here, listen, this sin, is, this sin is, is deep within me. It's not external to me. My, my sin is not so much that I just had, that I was unfaithful um, and, and, was, and I'm a murderer. It, no, it's because of who I am in my very nature. That, that's why I did the thing that I did. Not because it was just some random moment of weakness, no, no, but because deep within my heart comes all sorts of evils, and that's what, what David is saying. So it shows us the response to sin and the source of sin, and then I think maybe one of the, the, the highest points of this psalm is God's response to our repentance. I love this. Uh, psalm 51, verses 16 and 17 says this, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it, or maybe in the context of Matthew 15, you will not uh, delight in washed hands, or I would wash them. No, he says, you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Listen to how God responds to a true act of repentance in David. 
in verse 17, the sacrifices of God, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Man, isn't that deeply comforting to us? Isn't, doesn't that sound like such a better alternative than, than, than pridefully hanging on to our sin or pridefully saying, well, you know, I, you know, I just, I, I just kind of made a mistake. No, I, I think the proper posture of repentance David shows us is a, is a broken and contrite heart before the Lord, a humbled heart. And then we have the assurance in that moment that God will not despise that. He, he will not reject that sacrifice. Now, Matthew 15 tells us there's all sorts of activities and sacrifices that he will reject, and clean hands is, not, is, is, is one of those things, but a broken and contrite heart he will not reject. So David knows what Jesus is teaching here. David knows in Psalms, well before the, the life of Jesus on this earth, David knows what Jesus is teaching here, essentially that my right standing before God is broken because of the sin that dwells within me. My right standing before God is broken before God because of sin that dwells within me. Or another way to put it, uh, this is a way that one of my, my junior high teachers would say, I'm not a sinner because I sin, I sin because I'm a sinner. I'm not just a sinner because I just so happen to sin. It's not like I, I have a perfect life up to this certain point and then I just start sinning out of the blue. No, David says here, I was brought forth in iniquity. Uh, the way that, the way that uh, Spurgeon says it is uh, that it's not only in the fountain uh, it's in the very streams, our sin. But, but, but Spurgeon also in the same psalm says, make my one case of sin an object of thine infinite mercy. And that's what, and that's what David says here. Hey, a broken and contrite heart, you will not despise. You will not reject me. Jesus is highlighting this universal reality that we are not in right standing before God because of what's within us. We are, we are, we are out of right standing before God because of what is in us. We're not, again, we're not sinners because we happen to sin. No, we sin because of who we are. Now, this seems like a, a somewhat of a hopeless message, um, but, but let me just tell you that a hopeless, a more hopeless message is I'm great and I've got no need, right? Because if, if you're fooled uh, that, that you're great and you have no need, I can guarantee you that the people around you who are closest, namely your children, like maybe mine, um, not, not my children for, for you, but for my own sin, they're deeply aware of my flaws. And if, if I'm the only one in the room who's convinced that I don't need to come before the Lord regularly and give my sin and my brokenness and my pride and, and all of those things to the Lord, man, I'm, gonna, I'm going to, as, as I think it's Colossians talks about, going to um, exasperate my children. That's a, that's a way to provoke your children. And so as a matter of, of application... This is often how we deal with and look at our own sins, that I'm great and I have no need. We often look at our sin the way that the Pharisees would have, isolated, random events that could be dealt with through some kind of good deed, um, as we see in Matthew 15, that we just, we're just going to kind of keep washing ourselves and just kind of wait, wait for the next time to do that. And we, like the Pharisees, are often offended um, at, at when, when we're told that we need repentance or that we need renewal. But man, what a gift and what a grace from God repentance is, right? Have you ever, have you ever been in that situation uh, where you've just held on to something for so long and, and, and the grace of God when he, the Holy Spirit convicts you and you repent of that sin? And maybe some of you grew up in churches where you're like, no, repentance, that's what I did when I got saved. No more repentance needed. Uh, can I just tell you, that ain't it. That ain't it. I'm not saying that your salvation depends upon how much you are aware of your sin. It doesn't. 
Your salvation depends on faith alone in Jesus Christ. That's it. But repentance is something that the Lord expects us, as David in Psalm 51, expects us to practice all throughout our life. It is a very regular spiritual practice and discipline of the growing Christian. I would say the more sanctified you are, the more repentant you are, the more willing you are to repent before the Lord. And that's what we see in, in the life of David, a man after God's own heart. Have you, have you noticed how unnatural the thought is that we can't just deal creatively or conveniently with our sins? Have you noticed how natural that that is? That, that we can just deal in a convenient manner with, with our sins. That when we sin, it's, it's natural for us to think that it's, just an, that it's just an isolated mistake. But no, what it is, is it's a, what Jesus is saying is it's a microscope on your heart. Man, it's looking straight through your heart is, is what our sin is. We don't like this message, but it's not a hopeless message. Again, why? Because, well, the second thing that we, we see, the reason why this is not a hopeless message, church, is because evil is not defeated externally. That's why this is not a hopeless message, because evil is not dealt, uh, is not dealt with or defeated externally. So how is it dealt with? Well, um, the, the, the way that it is dealt with is what makes this not a hopeless message. The issue about the pervasiveness of sin in us is not hopeless because Jesus has made a way for our sins to be dealt with, Right? Um, and that is not something that we deal with on our own or that we can deal with with clean hands or church attendance. There's all sorts of things that, 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 that we could talk about, ways that we try to find our righteousness today. Um, maybe some of that is handing that extra buck to the guy on the corner. Um, maybe, maybe some of that is our church attendance or all of those things. But man, what a hopeless way for us to think that we can deal with our sins, right? Uh, by handing that extra buck to the guy on the corner. Um, or, or, or to, to gauge our righteousness by our church attendance. No, the reason why it is not a hopeless message that evil is, uh, that, that, that uh, evil is not external is because Jesus has made a way for our sins to be dealt with. Um, and that is a, a beautiful thing. The other reason why it's not um, hopeless, that this truth, is because Psalm 103.10, which we read this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn there, actually. Psalm 103.10 says this. I can get there. What a beautiful passage. Psalm 103.10. This is why we're grateful that God has made a way for our sin to be dealt with. Psalm 103.10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. So far does he, uh, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Man, aren't you glad church family, those of you who have placed your trust in Christ, that God had a much better way, that God chose a much better way to deal with your sins than the ways that we would choose to deal with our sins. The Pharisees had created all these ways to deal with their sins, and the law certainly guided them in some ways. There was, 
listen, we, we, we don't want it, to, it's not today's message, but, but another day's message would be, no, there, there are things in God's law that do instruct the people of God how to be pure and how to be holy. Um, and obviously what Jesus is dealing with is not that. He's not dealing with that here. He's dealing with the things that the Pharisees put on top of that in order for them to deal with their own sins apart from faith in the promised one of God. That's what he's dealing with right here. And so as we have seen countless times in the gospel, evil is not defeated by anything external, rather only through faith in the Lord Jesus. Only through faith. You want your sins dealt with in a final way? Trust in the Lord Jesus. There's nothing external. Through, through various examples that, that, that we see in Matthew, we, we see for the, for the first time in the, in the passage to come, or we see for the first time really in Christ, one who is, who is not made unclean by other people's uncleanliness. And so that was some of the reason why these Pharisees were so stringent on these things, because if, if you were to touch someone who was unclean, you were unclean. And then Jesus shows up and look at him. He's touching all sorts of unclean people, right? He's touching dead people. He's touching lepers. And what happens when the, 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 the clean touches the unclean in those situations? Is the, is the clean made unclean? No. The unclean, the dead, are brought to life. Jesus, Jesus shows up, and he's not made unclean by other people's uncleanliness. And so uh, many of these laws and traditions that the Pharisees had, had piled upon existed to prevent the contagion of the unclean. But in the Savior, in Jesus, he was not made unclean by contact with, with the unclean. Um, rather, the unclean was made holy by contact with the Savior. Uh, that, that we're supposed to see something in these interactions that Jesus has with these, these unclean people. And so I want to be very clear just as we close today. I want to be clear as we, as we close. Uh, Christian, I'm going to talk to you first. Uh, you, have, you have no fear of judgment before God. You have, if, you're, if your faith and your trust is in Christ and his finished work and who he is and what he has done, you have no fear of judgment before God. Uh, through faith in Christ as finished work on the cross. So this means, this means many things. This means many things. One of those things, it means you spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. Amen? Listen, I know that, you know, it's, it's kind of cool these days to just kind of talk about, you know, well, heaven, you know. No, heaven's going to be awesome. Heaven's going to be awesome. And I'm going to tell you, hell's going to be miserable. And, and Christian, through faith in Christ, you have no fear of judgment for your sin because the judgment for your sin, the payment that your sin required was put on Jesus Christ on the cross. And that is, that is what we do. But one of the other things that this means, it means many things. Again, we got heaven. We got, we got eternal life. We've got a kind of life now that Jesus promises to those who love him, like a, like a value and a quality to life. That means that like salvation is not only about eternity. Salvation helps things here. Salvation transforms our lives here. We are new creations right now, Christians. But one of the other things that this means, just kind of in context of our passage this morning, is that you can be honest about your sin before God and before others. Hey, you can just, not that you would boast in it, right? Not that you would say like, oh, I'm, I'm all good. Paul addresses this in Romans, by the way. Should we sin so that grace may abound? No, we're not doing that. But what, but what this means is that we can be honest about our sin before God and before others. Because the judgment and the consequence and the payment for our sin has been satisfied. And that we can come before other people and we can confess and we can repent of our sin to others, to, to God primarily. And, and we, can, we can have no fear of judgment 
Our, as, as one author puts it, our ju- Christian, your judgment day has been moved from the future to the past. Your, your, your judgment day has been, has been moved from the future to the past. That's a wonderful news. And so we need that gospel reminder every day. Uh, I, you know, I grew up thinking the gospel was something I took care of when I got saved, right? I don't know about you, but and I'm not even necessarily saying that anybody told me that. <laughs> I, I think sometimes we, we, we peg what we believed when we were kids to some bad guy. I, I don't think anybody ever told me that. It was just my understanding that the gospel was kind of what I did and took care of and shored up on when I got saved. But we need, Christians, we need reminders of the gospel every day. You need to be reminded today, and you're going, to be, you're going to need to be reminded tomorrow that because of Christ, you have no fear of judgment for your sin. Praise God, right? Praise God. So we need that gospel reminder every day. And if you're not a Christian, I'm not convinced that everybody in here is a Christian. Uh, maybe some claim to be Christians, and you think you are, and you're not. Uh, maybe some of you are like, no, I'm definitely not, and I don't care that I'm not. But I'm just going to put give this to you that you've got some explaining to do for the evil that exists in the world and the evil that exists within you. Um, let, like, let's just, let's just use our brains here for a second and not try to philosophize everything. There's evil in the world. Evil exists. Evil's real. Um, evil within you is real. Uh, sometimes I shock myself how much evil is within me, right? Um, and I'm just going to say, and I'm saying that as a Christian. As a non-believer, I would say, I hope you would consider the same thing, that evil exists within us. But the good news is that through faith in Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ alone, that God has made a way for your sin to be dealt with. And you're not going to deal with that through, you're, you're, that cannot be dealt with through any number of charitable acts or benevolent acts or anything. It can only be dealt with fully and finally through faith in Jesus. That's it. So the greatest threat in, in, your, in this world to your soul or to any of our souls in here. Jesus is saying in this text, the greatest threat to our soul is not the evil that lurks out there, but rather the evil that lurks within our own hearts because that's where these things come from. And so you know what? I'm, like, I'll be honest. Sometimes, uh, you, I don't know if you've ever heard a pastor say this, sometimes profanity comes out of my mouth. <laughs> if I hit my, my finger with a hammer, I ain't saying glory. I'll tell you that. Uh, I ain't saying glory or hallelujah. Um, I'm, just a, I'm just a dude. Thankfully, with our church, most, most of you know that. Like, I'm just a Sunday afternoons, you, especially those of you who kind of been in my small group, like, you know, the first thing I do when I get home, I go put my shorts on, um, and I wear some sort of cheesy shoes uh, because I don't got time to take my socks off. So I just slide some shoes on, and I look like an old man. So I'm just a normal guy. Um, and there are times when, when, I, when I use profanity. And you know what? People have different understandings and takes on, like, all those profanity things. But here's the thing that more and more... Lately, I've realized whether or not this word or that word's bad. What what I'm shocked by is the place from which it comes. Like what, where I'm, whatever I say, like I, I could I could I could say a word that nobody would think is is bad at all. And so it's it's not so much the the word that I say. It's 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 how and when it is utilized. Right? <laughs> it is it is the kind of heart and the kind of spirit from which that kind of feeling comes. And I think that's what Jesus is saying in this text. This comes, this comes from the heart. And so like, no, it's not that word that just magically separates me from God. My heart separates me from God. I'm a, I'm a sinful person in need of grace. And, and God, has, by his grace, has, has made a way for our sin to be dealt with. Okay, let's pray. 
Father, we thank you so much for these truths. Thank you for uh, really the, the, uh, the, the hope that we have in this text. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like a hopeful text at first, uh, but, but Lord, as, as, uh, as is true of your word, um, it is inspired. Um, it is given to us by God, um, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, and it is no less relevant today um, than it would have been for these Pharisees and disciples and uh, crowds that would have been standing around Jesus then. Um, it, it has the, the same amount of, 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 of relevance and impact and power for us today. Um, namely, Lord, because we have the whole book, we have the whole story, uh, we, we, have, we have the end of the story, we've, we've got... Uh, the, the truth of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, um, the, the, the decisive acts of Christ um, that, that, that you, by your grace, gave to us so that our sin, so that our sin-separated sin hearts and minds, um, our sin could be fully dealt with, not because of, of some, some way that we decide uh, to, to deal with our sin externally, but because of, of what is required for our sin to be dealt with, and that is faith in Christ. And so, Lord, would you just uh, draw uh, sinners to you? Um, if there are non-believers in this room, we praise God for them, um, that, that they would, that they would uh, uh, seek understanding from a place of, of, of even little faith, um, and that they'd be comforted that uh, that Jesus himself dealt regularly with those of little faith, and he did not despise them, he did not reject them, he welcomed them, um, he called them more deeply um, into, um, into fellowship with him, um, into faith in him. And so, Lord, would you draw uh, unsaved to you. Uh, Lord, for those of us who uh, have placed our trust, we, we just, we praise you. Uh, may, may, we, may we start each day. Uh, proclaiming with our, our mouth um, that it is by your grace and your grace alone. And uh, Lord, may we now sing in response to that grace. Um, may we uh, come to the table uh, very, very happily, very joyfully, uh, knowing that, that you have, again, made a way for our sins to be dealt with and that you do not deal with us according to our sins, uh, but have moved, you have... Uh, removed them, and uh, spread them as far as the east is from the west. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.